Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week 8, day 3 of our study of Esther. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Esther 8, 7-9. Well, welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us? God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. we we'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Esther 8, starting in verse 7. King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew. Pause right there. We get a better picture of what's going on here, right? Esther has fallen on her feet before the king. He's extended the gold scepter. She's touched it, stood up. Mordecai's already in the room, right? Mordecai has been brought into the, the, the presence of the king. Obviously, I, I find this interesting that Mordecai is now the right-hand guy, but he's still not the one asking the king for this. Esther, and, and I imagine, it doesn't tell us this, but I imagine that Esther and Mordecai have been having a conversation about this because now, you know, the king knows that Esther and Mordecai are related. He knows that they're related. He knows how they're related. He trusts Mordecai in her presence now. So they're probably not having to, and Mordecai can come into the palace. So I'm sure that Mordecai and Esther can actually meet in person now without having to have the eunuchs be this weird intermediary. The king knows that that he's essentially her adopted father. He's not going to, to, to keep them apart for fear that monkey business is, is going on. So, so they're able to talk now. And it, I get the impression that Mordecai is like, Esther, you need to come back before the king and beg him to do something about this law. And, and so that, that almost tells me that, you know, we talked about yesterday how Esther doesn't really understand how the laws of the Persians work. It almost makes me feel like Mordecai might not fully understand himself how the laws of the Persians worked if he's asking Esther to to bring this before the king. Now, maybe that's not the case. The, the I can imagine several different ways all of this played out. And I'm trying to read between the lines of what scripture is saying here and imagine the timing and the way all of this stuff is working because it's not really giving us a lot of those details. We're getting the we're not getting the play by play of, you know, this day, this happened. And now this happened two weeks later. And then we're not getting all of that. We're getting the very broad strokes of what's happening here. And so I'm trying to fill in the details in my mind. And I encourage you, and this is a good time to, I think, say this as you read scripture, I think it's always very valuable and very powerful as you dive into it imagine what it would have been like to really be there. I think we can read these stories so much that that they can read like fairy tales. They can read like fiction. They can just read like stories. And we can lose the, the reality of the situations. We can forget that these are real people in real time with events that really happened. And so I'm not saying that you come up with some weird theology based on the days that, you know, passed between Esther's first request and Haman dying in the second, you know, don't get into the, there are so many people throughout human history who have seen something and imagined something in scripture. And then they go down really weird paths, 
really, really weird paths with it. That's not what I'm encouraging you, but I am encouraging you to exercise your imagination as you read these things and imagine how would these things have happened? How would they have actually taken place in real time and space in, in, in a real world environment? Now it, that there's a, a layer of complexity for us because it's very difficult for us to superimpose our life onto the Persian kingdom. There's so many cultural things that are different, just so many other things. But the the more that we can at least imagine and, and picture ourselves in the story, it, it brings up questions about how would this have actually played out? How would this have happened? What would this have been like? And those are all really powerful questions. Those are those are questions that I think every person reading the Bible needs to, you know, be asking, if if not out loud, if not intentionally, you know, get it in you so that you're asking them in the background, because those things will actually pull you into God's word. They will cause you to begin a dialogue with the Lord on accident sometimes. We're like, Lord, how would this have worked? You know, you'll find yourself accidentally speaking to the Lord about his word. And that's really the point. When we're reading his word, we want to be asking him the questions. We want to be pondering these things and that how would this have worked? Lord, if I was there, what would this have been like? That's really one of the most powerful things that we can get out of reading scripture is that we start to, uh, and I'm not saying interject ourselves into scripture in kind of this ethnocentric way where it's like, well, everything in the past looked like how it does in America. And so we kind of imagine that's how it works. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that we imagine ourselves in the story so that we can begin asking those questions. What would this have been like? What would I have felt? What would I have done? What was the timing? How did these things play out? What was going on? What were the conversations happening in the background? What did the king's court look like? How did all of this function? Like Those are all of the questions that we don't have detailed answers for here in scripture. We have the broad strokes of this story, but we don't have all those itty bitty details. And so pondering those things and, and just filling those in with our mind, that's there's nothing wrong about that. That actually it pulls us into the story. Now, becoming dogmatic saying, you know, well, you know, Mordecai was 10 feet off to the right and Esther came in and, and, and that may sound really strange, right? That may sound really strange that I'm calling that very dogmatic, but I mean, there are people throughout history who have done just that. It's like, well, if you don't believe that Mordecai was right here and that the court was this and all of that, people really get bent out of shape over very weird things. And so we need to, use our imaginations, but we also need to rein in our imaginations in, in places and in, in ways that are, are not appropriate and not healthy. We don't need to go make a big deal about things that aren't in scripture. But when we see these kinds of things where scripture doesn't fill in those details, we can ask those questions and we can imagine what it would have been like. So that's why I like to express, like, this is how I see it happening. I'm not trying to, to give you, it's like, say like, this is my opinion of how it happened. This is like, I I'm imagining just like anybody else, how all of these things would have, have played out. And I try to approach a lot of scripture in that way. If, if I was there uh, with my best understanding of the culture and all of the things, which, which I cannot have a complete understanding. No one can, Right? We have a lot of information about their culture and things like that, but we have incomplete records of what their culture was like, what it would have looked like, what it would have been, would have been like, what we would have felt or thought. Um, so 
all I can do is the best guess that I can make based on my limited understanding of their culture and, and all of those kinds of things. But then when I do that, I really get so much more out of the scripture when I engage with it in that way. And so the king is saying, you know, um, well, here, let's let's continue on. Uh, we'll read it again from the beginning. Verse 7, King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews, as it seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. So right here, this is the important thing, right? He, he's saying, look, I've given you his estate. I've done all this kind of stuff, but I can't undo this. That's not how Persian law works. And he's talking to both Esther and Mordecai. So I get the impression the king is thinking, I've given the signet ring to Mordecai, but he's not, he doesn't fully understand this. And this is where, why, why I think it's, it's really so bizarre that he's, I mean, this is a, a God thing that he has given the signet ring. He has given this position to Mordecai and I think, it, to me, the way that he's explaining this makes me feel like he's thinking, oh, Esther and, and Mordecai especially doesn't understand how this works. You don't understand Mordecai. And so he's looking at both of them saying, I can't revoke this. That's not how Persian law works. It's not like, and he's probably thinking, I know how other governments and things work, but that's not how the Persians do things. The Persians and the Medes, we have this long standing tradition of you enact a law. There is no revoking it. There is no revoking it. It stands forever. So he's saying, you need to do what you think is best, but you can't revoke this. That's not a thing here. So come up with another idea. Come up with some other ways. He's telling Esther, I've given you his, his estate. I've given Mordecai the signet ring. You come up with something. You find a solution and you've got the signet ring. So I'll be behind it. I'll be for it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get in your way on whatever solution you come up with. But this thing, this law that was passed says, everyone, there's a, a free day to kill Jews. It's like, that can't be revoked. Can't, won't, not possible. Verse 9. And once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan, they wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also in the Jews in their own script and language. So Mordecai has the royal order written out, hasn't told us what that order is, is yet, but we're going to find out has that royal order written out and then translated into every single mother tongue, every dialect that everyone around all of these 127 provinces, all of this massive kingdom that Persia has. And this is going to get translated, printed, if you will. I mean, it's, they don't have a printing press, so they're actually scribes writing this out and copying it down. This is a tremendous amount of work an expensive task. You got couriers, you got scribes, you got all of these people translating and, and, and copying these things and then 
distributing them and then having heralds go out and, and shout them in the town square because even if you posted this thing, most people are probably not going to be able to read it. And so this is, again, a, a big deal to make a proclamation like this. But Mordecai is like, right then, he gets all of these people, all of the scribes, all these people, he's like, we, we got to start on this right now. We have a very limited amount of time to come up with this solution. And so they jump to it. So we've gotten a little bit of an education from the king on how Persian law works. And Mordecai wastes no time getting after finding a solution to this problem, um, to basically Haman's final solution. Mordecai is going to come up with a, an unfinal solution. Uh, and if you're not familiar, the final solution was the basically the decree that the Germans, the Nazis came up with to rid themselves of the Jews. And that's essentially what we have here. And Mordecai is going to find a way around it. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.